to the Inside Knowledge for people with IBS. This is part two of a two-part episode about small intestine bacteria overgrowth. In this session, I'm going to focus more on some of the key risk factors for SIBO, as well as focusing on the treatment. Part one covered a little bit about an overview of SIBO, and also we looked at testing and how you can get tested. Now we're going to move into what you can actually do about it, as well as some of the preventative things that you could do in order to lower your risk of getting SIBO in the first place. Let's get going. Hello, welcome to episode 12 of the Inside Knowledge for people with IBS. I'm Anna Mapson. Today, I'm going to focus more on the causes, the risk factors for getting SIBO and also the potential treatment options that are open to you if you have a positive test. Remember, the types of causes for SIBO would be down to impaired mobility. So you're getting less cleaning of the small intestine through the migrating motor complex. Maybe you're getting impaired digestion and that can be down to stress and diet or you're getting some sort of impaired flow of food through your digestive system. I'm going to talk to you a little bit about how each of those work. So the changes in small bowel motility, which is where you're getting changes in your migrating motor complex, you're just not getting the cleaning working enough. This can be caused by a number of things. It might be as random as having a traumatic brain injury a long time ago. That has actually been shown to affect the nervous system of the gut if your vagus nerve is affected by the nerves depending on where your brain injury was and that can actually lead to an impaired migrating motor complex. The same kind of thing with a hypothyroid, so your low functioning thyroid. That means that a lot of processes in your body are on a go slow mode and people who have a low functioning thyroid might also feel the cold quite a lot, might um, experience dry skin like dull and brittle hair and nails, difficult to lose weight. And these can be signs of low functioning thyroid as well as slow motility in the gut in terms of the migrating motor complex. You might also find that people who have blood sugar issues like diabetes, may it may affect their migrating motor complex. As well as the post-infectious IBS scenario where you're getting damage to the uh, migrating motor complex from a episode of food poisoning. And we covered that in episode 10 three other key areas that give you an increased risk of SIBO, not necessarily causative, but an increased risk would be changes to your digestion. What I mean by that is that maybe you've got poor bile flow, issues with your gallbladder, maybe you've had your gallbladder removed, maybe your gallbladder is not functioning as well as it should and it's just not releasing as much bile as possible. This is an antimicrobial substance in the small intestine that actually helps us digest our fats, but also it helps to regulate the microbes within the guts. If you don't have enough bile acid or you have too much, (laughs) that can also affect your likelihood of getting SIBO. If you've got reduced stomach acid, that may bring in additional bacteria, as in the stomach acid is one of our first lines of defence. And if you don't have that barrier, things are not getting killed off in the stomach. They may be entering the small intestine and hanging out there and overgrowing. Um, Other things that really affect this are your stress levels, 
your eating pattern, so how often you're eating and like how you're eating, are you chewing your food, are you eating in a relaxed state? These things seem really basic, but they can actually make a difference. And you might actually get a slower digestion due to structural changes in your small intestine or within your body cavity. So you might have an obstruction within the small intestine could be a lump or something that is growing there, could be adhesions slowing down the transit of food through the gut. This also might happen after you've had surgery and you have scar tissue. So people who've had appendicitis and have their appendix removed, anybody who's had like multiple abdominal surgeries, for example, endometriosis is a clear area here where you also get scarring and you might have adhesions and that sort of thing. Another condition where you definitely get slowed down digestion is Ehlers-Danlos syndrome, which is where you get very relaxed muscles, like smooth muscles, extremely relaxed. People will have excessive hypermobility of their joints, maybe extremely flexible and could have slow transit time because a lot of the other smooth muscles that are not under our conscious control tend to be slower with EDS. There are some specific medications which also raise your risk of getting an overgrowth of microbes in the small intestine and that can include anything that's known to slow down the gut. So we know that taking any opiate medication like significant painkillers based around morphine will slow down the gut, give people constipation but also slow down the small intestine. Taking any proton pump inhibitors, so that's things like omeprazole, which stop your stomach acid, um, as well as some tricyclic antidepressants have also been shown to slow down the gut in some cases, not for everyone. It's potentially people who take levothyroxine, so that's the um, thyroid medication for low-functioning thyroid. The reason I'm going into all of these, you might think, oh, well, how is this relevant to me? But often people find when they get SIBO, they want to know why it happened. How did this occur? And just understanding some of the risk factors might help you to put your own picture together wherever you are in the world. If you're working with somebody who has good knowledge of SIBO, these sort of things should be explained to you anyway. And part of your health history, when you work with a nutritionist or a doctor who understands SIBO, they should have investigated all this stuff with you. If you know that you've got SIBO, you've got a positive test, there are different ways you can treat it, depending on your symptoms, your capacity to make change, your health conditions, and the type of healthcare that you've got access to wherever you are in the world. We either want to look at killing the microbes, so whether that's using antibiotics or antimicrobial herbs, we want to look at your diet and also lifestyle changes. Again, these very much depend on what you think your root cause was that you got the SIBO from and what you want to do about it, like how much you're up for changing. When we look at tackling the SIBO through killing the microbes, there are various approaches um, and it depends on whether you're working with a doctor or whether you're just working with a non-prescribing nutritionist. The main antibiotic that is used for SIBO is called rifaximin. It's very good sort of antibiotic because it's not systemic. It doesn't go and kill all the bugs. It just works in the small intestine without wiping out your large intestine bacteria. It's been shown that when people take rifaximin, it doesn't cause as much of the yeast overgrowths like candida overgrowth that might be an issue after taking more systemic antibiotics. 
And actually, it has been shown in some cases to increase the beneficial large gut microbes like bifidobacterium and lactobacillus species. Depending on the type of SIBO that you've got, you might also be given another antibiotic treatment alongside it. This depends very much on your doctor who is prescribing the antibiotics and whether they think you need two types of treatment. Now, in the UK, you probably will struggle to get hold of rifaximin. It's not actually licensed to be used widely for gastro issues. And so some gastroenterologist consultants will prescribe it and you can get it on the NHS. But it very much depends on where you are in the country and who you're seeing. So it's not a given. It's not a standard practice to access these drugs, unfortunately. And you do need to be working with a doctor to get them as a nutritionist, I'm not able to prescribe antibiotics. The things that I have access to are antimicrobial herbal treatments, and these include a range of different herbs like berberine, oregano oil, garlic, and neem. If you have hydrogen-predominant SIBO, the main herbs that people would use is berberine, neem, and potentially oregano in some kind of combination. There's no set protocol. If you've got more methane predominant symptoms, then tend to go for garlic extract. It's not a high FODMAP garlic supplement, so it won't cause a lot of bloating. Although some people I work with say they get a garlicky after burp later in the day, which is obviously not that pleasant but it's not the bit of garlic that is going to cause bloating. So that, um, is sometimes what people worry about because obviously garlic can be a trigger for bloating and symptoms. And then sometimes oregano, again, with a methane-based SIBO. So the antibiotics you normally take for two weeks. Sometimes it's 10 days, but often 14 days, two to three times a day, again, depending on what your doctor will prescribe you. The herbal antimicrobial treatments do take a little longer. So I would normally have people take them for six to eight weeks and then have a gap and sometimes then change to another type of antimicrobial treatment. What we wanna do is try and rotate the treatment. Sometimes it's a little bit more gentle when you're taking the herbal route and can take a little bit longer. So it's obviously more effective short term to take the antibiotics if those are on offer to you. But then not everyone wants to do that. When you're taking these antimicrobial treatments or antibiotics, sometimes people can get a bit of a die off experience where this is where the microbes in your gut are kicking off and breaking down and small fragments of the microbes can get into your blood. So like your immune system recognizes this and reacts and it's almost like you get a fluey sort of reaction. In that case, sometimes it's good to decrease your dose until your reaction calms down and just support your immune system through things like vitamin C and fish oil, if that's relevant for you. But just lots of rest and like looking after your body as you would if you had flu. Sometimes it's called a Herxheimer reaction. Typically it will be within the first week of starting your treatment. The other treatment for SIBO is something called an elemental diet. Again, as a nutritionist, I'm not authorised to recommend this to anybody. Doctors will prescribe it for you and help you to decide whether this is right for you. It's basically a liquid diet just based on shakes that you get out of a packet 
for two weeks and it strips out all the carbohydrates so effectively you're starving out your gut bacteria by doing this um, it's challenging mentally because you don't eat anything except these shakes for two weeks so no food no snacks and this can be really challenging because you know eating is not just for fuel it's kind of what we do socially and you know in a family and it can be very challenging to change this aspect of your approach to eating if we move on to diet a little bit some people feel better on a low carb diet this doesn't necessarily kill all the microbes but it may help you manage your symptoms so if you've been given a SIBO diagnosis going on a SIBO diet or a low FODMAP diet may help to some extent but it's really about helping you manage your symptoms when you reduce your bloating reduce your diarrhea that kind of thing you probably feel more energy and more impetus to actually make some other changes so sometimes that is the first thing that we'll do in order to help you get better control of your symptoms in the longer term though once you have got control of the symptoms a little bit you do need to build up the good microbes you really need good large intestine microbes and that does rely on you eating fiber so essentially you can't stay on that low SIBO diet for a long time I've seen people who've been on it for years and years and so the main thing is trying to get you back to eating a better diet. Simple things like moving your body every day, getting some sleep, trying to find ways to relax and do things that make you feel happy. These are important parts of managing SIBO rather than letting SIBO run your life. I know it's easier said than done, but these sort of things are as much of the prescription as taking the pills and eliminating foods from your diet. Making sure that you are actually exercising or moving your body in some little way daily that you're actually doing things to support better sleep these are really key not just taking more supplements finally i want to talk about pro kinetics so these are things that encourage the migrating motor complex to move they can include herbs and supplements so things that include ginger artichoke 5htp and other kind of herbs or you can actually get from your doctor low dose antibiotics and there's a couple of them low dose naltrexone low dose erythromycin these can also be prescribed to help kickstart your migrating motor complex if none of these things you're doing have worked and again you go back and talk to your doctor about this if you think that that might be a good help for you often people get pretty disheartened when they've done all of this stuff they then retest the SIBO and the levels haven't dropped that much and they feel very disheartened and I can completely understand why now in an ideal world we would suggest testing again after each round of treatment because you might not actually see improvements in your symptoms they might come in around after the second round of treatment but if you see a reduction in your numbers on the test it could give you a bit of encouragement so for example each round of treatment I would expect to see a drop of about 30 parts per million per round of treatment and that is pretty much the same whether you go down the rifaximin route or antibiotics or whether you do the antimicrobial herbs it's pretty similar the only thing that I would say is after each antibiotic or each treatment round that you need to engage that prokinetic you need to start working to keep the gains that you've got and you can't just rely on sustaining the same place it may slide backwards and the microbes may overgrow 
the things I mentioned around diet and lifestyle are, are important, but it depends a little bit on the cause you think of your original SIBO, like what gave you the SIBO in the first place. So for example, if it's a structural adhesion, then changing your diet and taking some supplements it might help for a while but if, unless you get to the bottom of that structural issue it's possible it's going to come back again so it is important to think about it holistically think about where your root cause of SIBO might have been as I said at the beginning it is a really challenging condition and I always hope that people are negative for the test when we do it but at least you know then what your potential treatment plan would be and I've just outlined it here in very general terms it's difficult to negotiate all this stuff on your own and if you want me to help guide you and work with you to implement it in your life and with your set of unique circumstances and symptoms then please get in touch I'm working with people one-to-one -one over three months and SIBO and IBS are like my daily core topics of conversation so this is what I do day in, day out. If you've got any questions particularly about this, you can email me. And um, if you want to know more about working with me, you can set up a free call and we can talk about where to go, talk about what you're experiencing, what you've already tried and whether you think I'm the right person for you. And then I'll see whether I think I can help you and whether you know I think it's going to be a good fit for us to work together. So I hope this has been a good two-part intro to SIBO. I'll put a link in the show notes to a couple of blog posts that I've written. One is about the risk factors, if you prefer to read some of that stuff. There's another blog post about prokinetics, another one about ginger and how that's good for your IBS. So give all that a go. Have a look through the website blogs that I posted below and then um, see where we go from there. All right, that's it for this week. I will be back next week. Bye.